I call this episode the Luncheonette. Taking a drive the other day, I see a banner on the side of the road: "Luncheonette opening soon," <laughs> and I can't help but chuckle a little bit. You know, when E T T E is tacked to a restaurant or any word, it really, I think, refers to the size—the size of the place, the size of the lunch, or maybe the size of the check. <laughs> I do know filet of sole is not found in a luncheonette. Nah, that's for sure. Ah,、oh, the idle mind is such a devil's playground. And now I'm hungry for a burger from long ago, a burger from George and Mary's luncheonette. In every kid life, there's a personal place where they get their snacks and their food. Sometimes it's a diner. Sometimes a greasy spoon, as my grandmother Ethel would call them. But for us, our place was George and Mary's luncheonette, our hangout before, during, and after school. It was right across the street from the junior high school, and we, as trusted eighth graders, had a privilege. This privilege was denied the lower grades. We could go to George and Mary's for lunch rather than than to endure a delightful dish served in the school's basement cafeteria that we called the dungeon. By the way, no matter what you ordered down there, smelled like cheese. Anyhow,、uh, George and Mary's was certainly not approved by the school nurse. <laughs> It served anything but. Healthy food. Everything was fried, and this was long before the golden arches pumped up all over the world. But the menu, the menu was great kid cuisine, just designed to taste good, not to reduce your sodium intake or lower your calorie counting or fight global warming. My regimen changed daily. Sometimes、uh, I'd have a burger dripping with goodness. <laughs> Other days I'd splurge on a cheesesteak, drowned in fried onions, which were ten cents extra. But I was a big spender. My best buddy Bub, we called him Bub because his name was Lewis. He couldn't stand that name. He loved subs, and he had one every day. However, I didn't like a sub, especially I didn't like Italian subs that were drenched in vinegar and oil. I found that this seemed to overpower that continental flavor of those great Italian cold cuts. <laughs> One question I always ask is why is everything in life that tastes good not good for you? <laughs> well. Today I do feel sorry for the kids that must subsist on burgers without meat. <laughs> what an idea! What an idea! But I digress. Each lunch in the place was wall to wall with hungry kids who only had twenty minutes to eat and make it back to their school. But George, the owner, made sure everyone got lunch. Presiding over the chaos, he was wrapped in his white apron, taking orders, 
left and right, and then shouting them out, even though Mary was standing just a few feet away at the grill. But I think this routine, I think this was an act. I think he was trying to prove that everything was cooked to order. <laughs> However, I do think Mary started those burgers about 6 a.m. <laughs> They've been sitting around for a while, and she just warmed them up. But we didn't notice. The lunch battle was played out Monday through Friday, 180 days of school each year. The battle of the burgers and shakes. But on Friday and Saturday nights, the place changed dramatically. It wasn't just a food joint, it was a gambling den. In the rear of the store was a magnificent, flashing, dinging pinball machine. And this machine was ruled and presided over by Brad, the grandson of George and Mary, and the all-time South Millville pinball champion and shark, by the way. He was always the high scorer, and he had his initials that are emblazoned on the back of the machine. This is a feature of most of the more expensive machines. They put your initials and your score on there somehow. I don't know how that happened because I never had a high score. But uh, this was amazing when I think about it because this was long before computers and technology that could do this stuff. But the expensive machines could in those days. And they were usually covered with glowing pictures of some exotic theme that blasted out to you as you stood there uh, with music, you know, an island scene or maybe crusaders in their jousting costumes fighting each other. And usually there was a picture of a, a buxom woman smiling suggestively at uh, the player. <laughs> I think just to kind of uh, divert them from the game and maybe they wouldn't win one. When Brad played, no one was permitted to talk where they'd get that cutting, withering stare from the perpetual champion pinballer. He needed absolute unin uninterrupted concentration as he flipped the flippers at the perfect moment that a silver ball needed to be on its way in a certain place. I uh, never tilted the machine either, like most of us did, trying to emulate his style. He had mastered this frustrating mechanism that shut the game down you lose your nickel if you try to tilt or lift the machine a little bit so the ball would roll into one of those holes that dinged or hit a bumper that dinged, and each ding meant another point on your score, or even sometimes 10,000 points. And then the music would come alive, ringing bells, and the winner, of course, was always Brad. You know, for two nickels, two warriors could play each other. And the challenger provided the coins. Brad never played two games for a nickel. His were always free. <laughs> he played somebody else. And then he beat them. 
Once in a while, he did treat one of us、uh, to a、um, diet coke. Or wait a minute, they didn't have diet coke. What's diet coke? I just drink diet coke. They never had diet coke back then. Diet coke. Well, sometimes, however, he did buy his opponent a cherry coke. We were splurging. You know, but I note he was never charged for this by Mary, his grandmother. She allowed him to、uh, have whatever he wanted. George was known to be very thrifty, and that's why he always waited, and I did, for Mary to dip our ice cream cones. Well, from junior high until I left for college. I never came close to beating Bradley. I constantly contended that the machine was designed for right-handers. I'm left-handed. Well, that didn't work. And Brad just smiled when I said this every time. But then one Friday night, a night that almost became a legend. With five pals as my witness, I tied Brad's score for the first time ever, and he was shocked. And he demanded a rematch, and so legend began. Brad's brother was on the payphone, calling all the rest of the gang to hurry over, as history might be made tonight. Brad bought another Coke for me. He always waited between games because he said it gave the tilt device a chance to settle down. Well, Brad made a surprising move. He said, "Let's put some money on this, and winner takes all." He put a dollar on the counter. That was big money in those days, and I put on my own dollar. Yikes! I couldn't afford to lose it. Brad went first. And he scored big. I followed, and after the first ball, I was down by five thousand points—a minuscule difference in high, this high-scoring game. But you know, it had to be made up. And by the end of the fourth ball, you get five. By the way,、uh, we were tied again at thirty-eight thousand points. Everyone in the place—they stood with whatever bated breath means. They had bated breath. And they gathered closer around the machine. Mary even unplugged the jukebox, and George was standing by watching us. He too felt that this could be a monumental note in the history of his luncheonette and for his family. I sent my last ball up the chute and played it a long time as sweat poured down my face. Brad, as usual, just patiently and coolly waited his turn. He was confident in his long practice skills, and finally, my last chance, it dropped into the depths of the machine, and my score posted fifty-six thousand seven hundred and fifty-seven. And then Brad's ball began its journey with dings and bells and whistles and.、Uh, He was playing the machine like a virtuoso plays a Stradivarius, and then it happened. As he finessed his ball against a bumper, the machine stopped. It tilted. The sign blared. Oh my God! He stood looking at the machine, transfixed in shock. He couldn't believe it. He had overplayed the game, and he had lost 
to the dreadful default censor, and not to me. We tied, and Brad left without saying a word. He just left, and this night would go down in our kids' lore as the night Brad tilted. <laughs> not the night Cal beat the master, but for me, it was a win, and I would take it and his buck too any time.